remember right after CCO for the tournament, they still caught lines of geese just outside Reno. Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome into the Tuesday edition of Hoist the Colors. I'm Philip Pilkington, once again filling in for Stephen Igo. Igo's still feeling a little under the weather. We are expected to have him back tomorrow. Uh, you'll probably have to do it from the house because uh, we don't want that junk here. But uh, we are expected to have him hosting the show. I am joined on this Tuesday afternoon by Scott Rogers, the voice of Pirate Baseball. Good afternoon, Scott. How's it going? I am doing well, Philip. and after baseball media day yesterday, fired up for baseball season. It is almost here. We are just 24 days away from Pirate Baseball as they will be hosting the Bronx of Ryder. As the show goes on, we are going to talk about those Bronx as well as do a preview of the American Athletic Conference. Also hit on a few other Pirate opponents coming up here in the 2024 season. But we are going to start the show by talking about East Carolina. We're going to recap a little bit of Media Day and hear from Coach Godwin. We're going to hear from Danny Beal as well as the pitching coach, Austin Knight. So, um, Scooter, I guess we'll get right into our first cut here where Coach Godwin talked about this being the most player-led team he has had in his 10 years here in East Carolina. I would say this group has a chance to be the best leadership group that we've ever had here in the 10 years that I've been the coach here. And um, it's been just awesome to watch those guys continue to grow and develop and the, the closeness of this group. And you'll hear from the players, but they all told me at the end of the fall it's the closest group that we've ever had here. And, you know, you got J-Dub, who's a fifth-year guy, so half a decade he's been here. So I think he's got a pretty good idea of what has happened in the past. But Carter Cunningham has been unbelievable. Uh, Trey Savage, uh, all those junior pitchers, Jake Hunter, Hunter Shinkman, um, I'm thinking JC has done a really good job as well, and there's others. There's about 14 guys in our leadership group, and we try to communicate on a regular basis, even if we're not meeting once a week, and bouncing ideas off each other. But the thing I would tell you is it's the most player-led group that we've ever had. Yeah, you know, I think that's saying a lot for this team. So, Scott, I'm going to ask you this because obviously you're not at practice every day, but you do travel with the team and you have been with the team the last couple of years. I've always felt that this has always been a pretty player-led team. He talked about it at the 20, after the 20. 20- 21 no 2022 season um you know when they brought zach agnos and jake kuchmaner in uh after they lost the super regional to texas and he said that that had probably been the most player-led team he had had so i feel like this team's always been player-led so this coming from coach is even more so than it would be maybe with some other teams who are not historically player-led yeah and you know it's like you said to to say this is the most player-led group and you compared it to that 2022 team where you had Bryson Worrell, you had Zach Agnes, you had a lot of older players on that team, but this year certainly has that same feel to it with more players. And he mentioned 
Carter Cunningham, you you have, and I think he's one of the biggest leaders on this on this team right now. You know, you look at or you listen to him just last weekend here on Hoisted Colors, and the way that he he does he does himself is is amazing to me off the field, and that's something that this program you can't teach you can teach that, but if they don't accept it, that that's on them, and everybody has accepted that I think, and realized, hey, when you get to be at the level that these players are right now, you have to be a leader, and that says a lot about these guys right now. It does, and we hope that um, you know this team is able to, to build off that. And you know, one of the things when anytime you hear a player led group, that starts from the top, right? You know, it starts from the coach's mentality and what he puts into the organization and then that trickles down to obviously you got to recruit great young men that were raised right and you know so it speaks a lot about them as well but it always starts from the top so a lot of shout out to coach godwin coach palumbo and that whole staff is they have been here for 10 years now scooter can you believe that coach godwin has been here for 10 years it's it's amazing that he has been here for that long now and in the fact too that he has been able to keep he's been able to keep Jeff Palumbo here that long with him is is unbelievable. And Coach Palumbo's talked about in the past how he's had the opportunity to to go some other places and be a head coach, but he's elected to stay here at East Carolina. That says a lot about this program. It says a lot about Cliff Goblin as well for his loyalty to him. But I mean, it it, it shows where this program is right now and how. It, and and I talked to you about this the other day. We were riding the car somewhere. I think it was and. You know, we were talking about Jason Dietrich being the head coach at Cal State Fullerton and how when you're a program like East Carolina and you're at the level now that people are hiring coaches away from you to be head coaches and to be assistant coaches other places, that shows how well this program is. No, it, it 100% does. I agree with you. And another guy that is a former recruit of Coach Godwin is Henry Lartigue. He record, recruited him at Ole Miss when, when Coach Godwin was one of the assistants there, and he is now the new hitting coach and part of Coach Godwin's staff, and Coach talked about hiring Henry Lartigue yesterday. When you look at the people I hire, it's uh, it's relationship-based, and he's young. Um, I recruited him to Ole Miss. Uh, he was a switch-hitting catcher. Um, it's amazing that he still wanted to work for me after I coached him his freshman year. Um, that was in 14 when we went to Omaha. He actually didn't even travel to the College World Series because he didn't make the travel roster. But two years later, he was a seventh-round draft pick, um, I think, by the Phillies and, and made it all the way up to AAA and had an injury or he probably would have played in the big leagues. But you got a switch hitter. you got a catcher. Uh, he was a student assistant in 2021 when Ole Miss won the national championship and or 22. And then last year he was at Arkansas State grinding as a you know a volunteer assistant and when the opportunity presented itself it was a no-brainer for me because I know that he is an unbelievable human being super knowledgeable about hitting and super knowledgeable about catching and Scooter I haven't had the chance to meet Coach Lartigue yet but you have got the uh, opportunity to sit down and speak with him so what were kind of your thoughts on first meeting Henry Lartigue I think super super guy he for a for a younger coach he is very knowledgeable and met with him the other day for the first time and kind of ran through you know everybody on the team to see where he thought everybody was right now and he has definitely adjusted very well to East Carolina. I think this is going to be a super hire um, you know for someone that played for Cliff Godwin at Ole Miss. This is a guy too that knows how Cliff Godwin is going to want to run this program. 
Uh, you know, a guy that is used to winning coming from a program like Ole Miss. He's coached in the past when he was at Arkansas State, I believe it was, where he came from. And so I like to hire. Um, you know, it, it gives you some new life as well with a younger guy to relate to the players maybe a little bit more as well. Um, but I like it. And, and talking with him for the first time, this is going to be a great addition to East Carolina staff. To your point of playing under Coach Godwin, now – the culture of East Carolina and the culture that Coach Godwin puts out is a lot different than a lot of other places in a good way. And there are a lot of guys who come into this program as players, and, and I'm, I'm starting on players, but I'm going to implement Coach Lartigue in this. And they don't fit, and I don't think that it's because they're bad people. I don't think it's not because they're not hard workers, but there is a certain expectation, and Coach talks about it yesterday, in the classroom, work ethic, on the field, and just a certain attitude you have to have to play for Coach Godwin. And if you are going to coach under Coach Godwin, you have to have the same mindset he does to hold the players to that standard and if he brings in a coach that is not willing to hold players to that standard there are going to be issues and that i think is why he talks about relationship based hires coach lartigue to scooter's point has played under coach godwin yes it wasn't as a head coach but he knows that mindset and I'm sure because of that relationship, Coach Lartigue is already informed of the way things are done at East Carolina in that clubhouse. He knows who Coach Godwin is as a man. He knows who he is as a coach. And I think Coach Lartigue will be able to slide right in and fit right in to this culture immediately. And that is is so important look there are talent wise 18 20 teams probably in the country capable of going on a run and winning a national championship in college baseball but there are only six or eight teams that have the talent have the work ethic and have the culture where they all fit together and that is one thing about coach godwin's team it is a special culture here and they are all bought in. And to bring in a guy who already is aware of what that culture is going to be, I think is a huge, huge hire for Coach Godwin. So moving on now from uh, bringing in Coach Lartigue, we're going to talk about an another assistant coach, Coach Knight. Um, AK has obviously been with the program for a handful of years now. And uh, he talked about getting a Sunday and a midweek stars. We already know that it will most likely be Trey Savage on Friday. It will most likely be Zach Root on Saturday. Scooter and I kind of hit on the guys that it could potentially be for Sunday yesterday. But here's what Coach Knight had to say about finding those other two starters in this rotation. We kind of will assess as we get through the weekend um, and see where we're at from how guys are feeling, and we'll assess who the best matchup is against the team that's ahead of us. And whoever that is, we'll get the ball and and we'll uh, we'll roll with him from there, right? But uh, of course, you know, I don't think you can ever just say, "Hey, this is going to be your midweek starter." Yeah, you know, Scooter. I guess nowadays it's it's so weird 
because the midweek game, it almost seems like sometimes it's an opener in Tampa Bay Rays terms. And, you know, usually even if it's not a true opener, you don't have a guy go out there and throw six or seven innings because of the way the college baseball schedule is made. Now, the unfortunate thing when you're East Carolina, the RPI ratings don't take into account whether it's a midweek game or a weekend game. And some of our biggest RPI boosters, Duke, Campbell, State, are midweek games. And now, obviously, you don't want to sell out to win the midweek and it costs you three games over the weekend. you got to be smart. But I think that's what's so tough. And we're going to get into the how the conference probably has gotten a little better this year with some of the new additions. But when you're in a conference where you really have to front-load your schedule with tough teams, I think it becomes a little tough sometimes to figure out how to handle that midweek game, whereas a lot of you know the SEC schools are playing cupcake Tuesday Tuesday afternoon games. Yeah, and you know that's one thing you know. And, and AK mentioned it yesterday how you know every team would love to have five or six starters, right? So you would have that definitive guy every single day that you have a game, but you're not going to have. You I mean everybody would love that, but you don't have that right now. That's why you throw that best available guy on those midweek starts. And, you know, it. everybody pieces it together midweek-wise. You know, we see that in our midweek games with opponents as well. But from a standpoint, I think this is one of the deeper staffs East Carolina could have from a starting perspective. And, you know, you talk about the guys that are kind of in contention for that Sunday spot right now. Uh, you have Chris Kaler, you have Jake Hunter. You know they they've mentioned Wyatt Lunsford, Chink, and Ellen Groller is another one that could slide into that spot. Not even mentioning Ethan Norby, the freshman left-hander who had an outstanding fall. And so I think you could see some of those guys. You know if they're not used a ton on the weekend, that that's someone that could come in and start on a midweek game and get you two, three, four innings in a midweek start. And so I think this team has. Plenty of options to go to midweek wise, but it's like AK say said you're gonna you're gonna use what you have on the weekend, and then whatever you have best available, you go with in those midweek starts. Obviously, you've got to play the game to win the game. We know that, but am I crazy to think this good? In an ideal world, now obviously I, I'm not. I'm building off your point, not disagreeing with your point. I would prefer to ideally maybe see a younger guy in that situation, even if you're only getting four out of them. That way he can slide into a weekend role because Trey Savage and Zachary are not going to be here forever. I think in a perfect world, you know, that that Tuesday starter is not Wyatt Lunsford Shinkman or Jake Hunter. We know they can start. They're potentially the Sunday guy. It would be really, really ideal, I feel like, to get a young guy in there, even if he throws three or four innings, because you cannot simulate starter experience. And you don't want to just throw a guy out there, and we've seen it multiple times with this team and with other teams in college baseball. you got a really good pitcher, and you think, hey, man, he's going to be a starter. You throw him out there, and for the first two weeks, he gets shelled, and he's right back in the bullpen because he was the Saturday starter out of nowhere. Yeah, and, you know, that's one thing where you look at last year where it was kind of mixed match earlier in the year, and then as it went along, Garrett Saylor kind of appeared as that guy for the midweek starts. And so I think that's another thing you could see from this year where your first couple of weeks you 
you throw some different guys in there starting-wise, and then, hey, well, this guy's kind of emerging as our guy for the week. And you could have that. in some of these weeks where you got two midweeks, you play it by ear, you see what you got, you throw your best available, whatever. But where you have only one game of those midweeks, hopefully by you know mid-part of the year, you know that this is going to be your midweek starter. And I think that's the possibility, too, with this team where one of those guys emerges kind of as your midweek guy. Yeah, and kind of looking at the schedule here, I believe there is only one week in which the Pirates play a pair of midweek games. Yeah, March 5th and 6th, they're at home against Virginia Commonwealth, which is a little strange. You know, Scooter, normally we take, I don't know when spring break falls now that I'm out of school, couldn't really care less, honestly, because it doesn't affect me. Uh, but, you know, used to we'd take that Tuesday, Wednesday spring break trip you know, we went down and played Queens last year on Tuesday and then Elon on Wednesday. So it's kind of weird not to have that midweek Tuesday, Wednesday on the road as part of a two-game trip. Yeah, and I think a lot of it just has to do with, with scheduling, too, and what's available out there. But I think you got your schedule right in front of you. I believe there's one week where UNCW and William and & Mary are back-to-back, if I'm not mistaken. Or I could mm. be thinking about last year's schedule, actually. I think there's, uh, yeah, I th- yeah, I think yeah. There's here you more. go. You're right. Uh, April 16th, we're at William and Mary. April 17th, which is a Wednesday, we're home against Old Dominion. Yeah, and so you don't okay. have a ton of those double midweek games like that. And so that's what I meant by you know when you have the majority only one midweek game, that guy could emerge. You know, once you get past the first couple of weeks of the year. Yeah, no, of course. We'll see how that all goes. And um, while I know it's kind of a long first segment, but because we're starting on the Pirates, there's nothing wrong with going along. There was another uh, interesting thing said yesterday, or optimistic thing said yesterday by Danny Bill, and he talked about his goal. He was asked about his personal goals, and he kind of ignored the question and started talking about the team goals. Um, I don't really... I don't really think too much into the personal accolades. I think I just know where I want us to go and where our older guys want us to go as a team. And obviously it's Omaha and win a national championship. Fire me up. Fire me up, Philip Pilkington. Fire me up. (laughs) He lit a fire under your butt because he has fired you up. You were sitting there yesterday pumped up when he said it. You came in today excited to play the cut. I saved the best for last just for you, Skater. I mean, when he said that yesterday, it took – all I could not to like fist bump in my chair. And then once I went back and listened to it, I was like, this is, this is where this program is right now. Because these, these players expect they, they are right there. They expect to be in contention to go to Omaha every year. And they expect to be in contention to win a national title. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with that culture. I do believe this team has the culture to do it. They definitely have the talent to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, bounces going their way as we know how unlucky uh, and lucky you can be in college baseball. So that'll wrap it up for our first segment here on Hoist the Colors. On the other side, we are going to kind of preview the Pirates' schedule and some of their opponents coming up here in the 2024 campaign. This is Hoist the Colors on a month. Pain. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Back into our Tuesday program of Hoist the Colors. If you're just joining us, uh, Stephen is still out feeling a little under the weather. He is expected to be back tomorrow. 
In the first segment, we talked about ECU Baseball Media Day. We are going to move on from the Pirates to the Pirates opponents, specifically the conference opponents, as five new teams on the baseball side have been moved into the conference this year. Those being UTSA, UAB, Florida Atlantic, a familiar foe in Charlotte, and one of the most historic baseball programs of all time in Rice. North Texas also joined the conference, but for some reason, a school in Dallas with 40,000 students does not have a baseball team. Don't ask me why. And Scooter, we are going to go ahead and get right into it. We'll just kind of go in chronological order of how we will play these teams. So the Pirates will open up conference play on Friday, March 22nd in San Antonio, Texas against the Roadrunners, which I think is pretty, is the, uh, probably the best team coming in out of these five, at least if you look at last year. Yeah, record-wise, they are the best team coming in. I think them and Charlotte are very very similar teams. Uh, Those are really the top two teams coming in from Conference USA last year. UTSA went 38-14 overall. They won 21 conference games last year, which I think is is very impressive, especially with some of the teams that are playing in Conference USA. And you got to think now with Dallas Baptist – in that league, uh, that's very impressive. And, and the biggest thing from these teams that I think is going to help East Carolina so much is the RPI. Uh, you know, UTSA comes in at, well, had a RPI of 75 last year, Charlotte 65 last year, and so you get a boost. And not only will that help East Carolina, but that's going to help the American so much because that will help everybody in the conference from an RPI perspective. And so there's a lot of positives coming into this league this year with these new additions. Yeah, you know, there's nothing worse than showing up for a conference game, clicking on Warren Nolan and seeing that you are losing RPI points for winning the game. It's like we would be better off lying and saying the whole team had COVID and not showing up for the game than we are to show up and win it. That's obviously part of is how crappy the system is with RPI, but it also has to do with how crappy the American is. So, you know, kind of is what it is there. So, you know, as we mentioned, starting at San Antonio, that final, or no, this third weekend of March, and then the conference opener, make note of this, is on Thursday. March 28th. This is a Thursday through Saturday series against UAB, uh, the 31st of March being Easter Sunday. So the American sticking to what they normally do, playing that series a Thursday through Saturday as we welcome the UAB Blazers, which is by far the worst team of the five coming in with a team last year that just won eight conference games all season. Yeah, and and UAB has been a program in the past where they've been decent um and you know all of these teams you never really know what to fully expect until after the first week or two because with the portal and people leaving who they're bringing in you just don't know but looking at these teams on paper especially last year UAB was by far the worst uh 17 and 36 overall they only won eight conference games and so that'd be a a good opportunity for East Carolina to get a sweep of that weekend of course you want to get a sweep as much as you want um but this is definitely especially now with an additional team 
in the American. You have three more conference games, and so I think this is another year that East Carolina easily, oh, I shouldn't say easily, but could be expected to win 20 conference games again. I definitely think so. And another one of the teams that is coming in that following weekend, we will travel down to Boca Raton. We know Scooter is happy for that. First weekend in April will still probably be a little bit chilly here in North Carolina. But down in Boca Raton, you're in the Miami metro area. can be very nice playing the FAU Owls, who finished in the middle of their conference last year. And as we, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier, Finishing middle of the pack in the CUSA is not bad. Dallas Baptist was 25-5 and five a year ago. It was followed by a very good UTSA team at Charlotte, Western Kentucky. Then FAU, who even finished higher than Louisiana Tech, who despite having a slightly down year last year, over the last better part of the last decade, has been a contender for an at-large bid many times. They have also won Conference USA a couple times in that span. So to finish higher than Louisiana Tech, I think, says something about this team. And to really hang in there, there were only two games or a game and a half behind. Wow, that's weird. Charlotte played less conference games than everybody else. Don't know why. Must have had a rain out against UTSA. Those two only logged 29 conference games now as I look at it. But to finish only a game and a half behind a Charlotte team, which you know the Pirate fans know is pretty good. East Carolina played them a year ago in Charlotte at a neutral site stadium down there. And then obviously they've been here recently in regionals as well as weekend series. Yeah, and Florida Atlantic kind of is a interesting program because it's like UCF and South Florida where it's like why is this team not winning 40 games a year I've said that for programs like South Florida I've said it for UCF you're in the state of Florida and you're not good consistently it makes no sense to me that place obviously has tons of athletes for every sport but especially baseball and for you not to have a consistent team, especially in now for Florida Atlantic, which that might change now they're in the American, but you look at that you look at those programs and I've always said to myself, why why are they not winning forty games a year? And so I think FAU is another one too that could help. They had an RPI of seventy nine last year, and so they'll help the conference for sure. Um, but that's obviously a team too that could possibly sneak up on you. They definitely could. And, you know, with them going on the road, um, if they can just bump that RPI by up by a couple points or by a couple positions, that would be a quad one road series for East Carolina. So definitely a big opportunity there. Next on the conference slate, the 49ers of Charlotte. This is a team who a couple years ago kind of had a roster overhaul, got a new coach despite being in a pretty good situation and then they end up coming here in a regional hanging with the Pirates. They've been to a regional the last handful of years and really a solid program and the cool thing uh, is that we now have a conference team so close. Unfortunately, this year they come here, so it won't be a quick, easy road trip for Pirate fans for a weekend, but that means we'll get to go to Charlotte next year. Yep, and you know Charlotte is a program that has certainly improved under Robert Woodard. Uh, he came over from North Carolina, and that's another program that Pirate fans are going to have to watch now in the American. And I personally think that this is going to be your second contender in the American from now on, um, and it should be. You know, Charlotte's always been a good program, and now that Robert, Robert Woodard is there, uh, having some more consistency to that program will definitely help. 
but this is definitely going to be a program that is going to be competing with East Carolina every year for an American Conference title. And next on the schedule, we host the Shockers of Wichita State. I think this is the hardest team to predict. They've had a complete roster overhaul. This is a team last year that played very well against the Pirates, but obviously you guys had those horrific travel issues getting to Wichita. It seemed to really mess with the team. And um, like I said, unfortunately, we can't really say much about their team from last year to this year as it has been such a roster overhaul with the Shockers. Yeah, and you know, just a weird situation that was last year. Uh, you know, it's not too often you see a team get rid of their head coach after winning coach of the year. Uh, it, is, it was very odd to see Lauren Hibbs get fired last year, and it, it it bit them in the dust a little bit. I think, I mean, pretty much all of Wichita State went in the portal. It seems like. Um, they did retain a few players here and there, but this is a team that you don't know what to expect because you have so many new players. You you have a first year head coach, and their coach, their new coach's name is not coming to my head right now. He was an assistant, I believe, it was at Oregon State last year. But that's a, that's a, you just don't know what to expect because there's going to be so many new players and first year head coach. But if history repeats itself. Wichita State will be right there in the middle of the pack like they are every single year. You know, it's interesting that you bring up history repeating itself and it could lead to Wichita State being good. I think the unfortunate thing, though, is a lot of the kids you're recruiting now don't remember the really good history of Wichita State. Now, right. I know you're relating to the, the recent history, which it's been solid, but this was a team that was going to Omaha you know, 35, 40 years ago. And it was every year they were going yeah. to Omaha. And unfortunately, you know, you kind of see it with Indiana now in, in basketball, right? They're not really a blue blood anymore because of lack of recent success, and now they're not landing the big-time recruits. And I feel like Wichita State is in that boat, but all they have to have is that one or two good years – and then hopefully it will bring out that history. It will bring out the fan base. You know, you kind of mentioned this past year the the fan support wasn't great yet. It was cold and rainy, but we've been to plenty of games in Clark LeClaire that's cold and rainy and still have 3,000 people there. So Yeah, and I, I think the fan support is still there for that program. Uh, you know, going out there for the first time last year, being in that stadium, uh, you know, that's the first – college baseball stadium I've ever been in that had a club level for donors and so they still have that support uh you know yes you might have looked out in the crowd last year and saw that there wasn't too many people there but I'll tell you what it was freezing cold in Wichita last year and of course everybody was in a bad mood <laughs> that trip with the travel woes last year I was about half sick on that trip as well last year but that it, they they still have that fan support. Everybody sees the support that they have in basketball for that program, and so and and you know this is everywhere now. You got to have NIL support too for a program like that. And so if they put an emphasis on that for baseball, uh, you know this is a team that easily could be back back not necessarily where they were, but this is easily a team that could compete for the American Conference title. Let's hope so, because we need the conference to continue to get better and better to help our case for a host as well as a national seed. We'll kind of go speed it up here as we are running to a time where we do need to get another break here in the next five minutes or so. After that, we go to Memphis. 
this is kind of, I feel like, again, one of those teams where you don't know much about them because there's been a decent overhaul in the roster. And could they be good? Yeah. Could they be the third or fourth best team in the conference? Of course. Could they be down there barely above UAB? Yeah. They could. It's, I think this is a tough one to predict. This is, and I told you this before we got on the air today, this is kind of my sleeper pick for the American this year. They uh, First-year head coach, Carrick Jackson, got hired away last year to Missouri, and so they hired Matt Reiser, who was the head coach at Southeastern Louisiana this year. And so you have first-year head coach. They put, they've put a big emphasis on baseball at Memphis. They totally redid FedEx Park. Uh, got a new video board, got a new field. And so they're putting money into this program. And so they that's something that they have not done in the past is baseball just hasn't been important at Memphis. But now that you're putting an emphasis on it, you, you've you hired a quality coach to replace Carrick Jackson and Matt Reiser. And so this is a team that – and they finished the year last year decently. They finished on the upward track last year. And so this is a program I think that – easily could could sneak up on some people this year, and that's why they're my sleeper pick in the American. And then uh, with no bend week between these two, we host South Florida. South Florida. I mean, I, I, I told you this before. Like, why, why are they bad? Why is South Florida bad every single year? The talent on that team is unbelievable, especially from an offensive standpoint. They had, they had Drew Brutcher last year. Uh, God, I cannot remember his name. The shortstop, Eric Snow, was one of the top hitters in the American last year. And they they just didn't do anything. Yes, they beat East Carolina in the conference tournament last year. But this is a team that should be winning 35, 40 games every single year. And it's just not happening. Uh, there is a lot of speculation that Billy Mole was going to get replaced last year. It did not happen. They kept him. And, you know, this might be the make-or-break year for Billy Mole, and we'll see what happens with South Florida. But, you know, it's like I said, you're in Florida, you're in Tampa. Why are you this bad? Why are you this bad? You're telling me that of all those schools in the Tampa area, there's not nine baseball players that could play in the American Conference and they can't recruit them? That's, that's interesting to me. But this South Florida team, you know, it's it's like I just said, they've got the talent. It's just the, the wins have not come from them whatsoever the past couple of years. There should be no bad teams in Florida. There should be no bad teams in Texas. Right. Before we get to a final team in Texas, hit on Tulane real quick. Um, love Corey, but it's probably me a bottom of the barrel team. Yeah, and, you know, that was – it was expected. You know, obviously they won the American last year, the tournament that is. Um, you know, a team that only won, what was it, 16 games coming yeah. in to the tournament last year, and they are kind of going to be in that same position this year. And you might see up above 20 wins from them, but it's still going to be a down year for the Green Wave. Jay Ullman, though, is a great, great guy. I, I really think he's going to turn around that two-lane program because he's got the experience of being the head man at some of those private school areas. He knows what to recruit for that school. Um, and another thing that Jay Ullman is, is trying to do with Tulane is he's a West Coast guy, and so he's trying to implement some of those West Coast game feels to Tulane. And so you could see a bit of an adjustment there with some of their new players, but I really think Jay Ullman's going to turn Tulane around. It's just a matter of when it clicks for them. And then we finish the season off at home against the team I'm most excited to come to this conference. Maybe they don't make the immediate impact, but I'm hoping the larger TV deals 
for basketball and football will bring more money to the athletic program and bring back what is historically one of the greatest college baseball programs of all time in Rice. Yeah, and Rice, you know, as you said, they're one of the greatest programs of all time. Everybody remembers when Wayne Graham was the head coach at Rice, how good they were. They were consistently competing to go to Omaha every single year. Back in our old Conference USA days, uh, when Billy Godwin was here, you know, I remember facing Rice so many times. And, of course, that was when I was eight or nine years old. But you remembered how good those Rice teams were. And hopefully now being in the American, maybe they can get back to even half of what that program used to be. And that would help not only the Americans so much, but it would be good just to have a program like that back in the American Conference. Yeah, it would. And it would it would be great just to see them, even if they weren't in the American. I'd be wanting to see them have a resurgence just because I remember as a kid growing up and always hearing about how great Rice was. You know, they were kind of the what is now Gonzaga in college basketball, where despite not being in the biggest conference, of course, they were in the Southwest Conference back in, back in the olden days uh, with all the other big-time Texas schools and Arkansas randomly. But um, just big to see them, and it would be great to see them come back. And, and, you know, to your point, I would love to see – we kind of talked about this before the show. Wouldn't it be amazing to see East Carolina and Rice – be on a host line every year and maybe it even come down to who wins the conference to see who gets a national seed and you've got these two great programs and then maybe Wichita State and Charlotte are just sitting there at third and four ready to be that snake in the grass to jump up and bite one of the big two if they slip up. Yeah, it would be. And that's what that's what would be so good about this conference now is you have programs like that. You had them before. You had it in Houston and UCF, but for whatever reason, it was not clicking for either of them. And so you still have that opportunity now with with Charlotte and, and like you said, Wichita State. And with how UTSA has kind of been on the rise the past year or so, that's another one that could sneak up and win this conference as well. But But back to your point about having – you know, getting Rice back to where it was, you know, if this could become a two to three bid league, that would be huge every single year. Not only just because of that, but for East Carolina's sake, it would be huge to have those opponents on your schedule from an RPI perspective once you get into the postseason time. It definitely would, as now it seems like all of our RPI boosters come in February and early March. Well, that'll do it for our second segment here. On the other side, we will uh, hit on a few of the Pirate opponents that are not in the American Athletic Conference, most notably the team they will open with in just 24 days, the Ryder Bronx. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back into our show. It's been a very pirate baseball-centric show as we did have pirate baseball media day yesterday. Now we're going to get into the opponents that are out of conference, most notably riders. We are 24 days out from February 16th and opening day in college baseball. The Bronx will be here at 4 p.m., so be sure to ask your boss if you can get off about 3, 3.30 to make it over for first pitch of East Carolina. And if you and can't, Ryder. I know of a very good radio station you can listen to your uh, game on with a really good play-by-play guy. Yes, and if you cannot make it over in time be sure to check out scooter right here on 94.3 the game with dr coach gary overton the winningest coach 
of all time in pirate baseball history. It's good to see Coach O yesterday at Media Day. I, I know. Seen him in a couple weeks. Yeah, I haven't. Heck, I don't think I've seen Coach O since like November. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't. I wasn't able to go over there for football games. Halftime, I'm stuck here producing basketball. I never see Coach O anymore. It's always, always a. It's always a joy to see the honorable Dr. Gary over. It is. It definitely is. I'll tell you, my friends who've moved away from Greenville. I think the thing they miss about Greenville the most is Coach O. Absolutely. Well, we're starting with the Ryder Bronx, and I know up front that doesn't sound like the sexiest opponent. Ryder last year had three quad one victories. They beat the Oklahoma Sooners in the regular season. They beat the Duke Blue Devils in the regular season and then beat the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina in the first game of the Conway Regional. They ended up losing to Duke 2-1 to in the second game before being eliminated by Coastal on Sunday afternoon. But this team, I think, is definitely one of the better mid-majors last year. I expect them to still be pretty good this year, Scooter. And, you know, this is one of those things. Obviously, you want to sweep every series. But if you do go 2-1 and one in this one, I don't think this is panic mode for East Carolina as this is a very good Bronx baseball team. Yeah, not at all. And, you know, we did – did some light. I haven't really looked in the rider a ton yet, but just off of the surface, you know, they went 36 and 21 last year, hit 265 as a team. So, I mean, not terrible numbers at all. Pitching wise, they had a 439 ERA. But the biggest thing, you know, glancing over them, they're returning three of their top four hitters from last year. And this, that was already a good team last year, as you said, you know, coming into the postseason. I think their record was even, if I'm not mistaken, with with quad one with Duke. And so this is a team that knows how to win. Their their head coach, I think, has been there for almost 20 years now. Uh, And so this is one of those, you know, smaller programs that that knows how to win. And they will fully expect to come into Greenville in a couple weeks and beat East Carolina. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing, obviously the portal is a thing in college baseball. But due to less NIL being baseball and football, when you do have a coach who's been there for 20 years and you are winning, it's slightly easier for a team like Ryder to maintain their players as opposed to, you know, maybe say a basketball team that was up and coming and and their guys might get poached by a bigger program. Obviously, they're going to lose some, but... You know, we talk about it with East Carolina and the culture that Cliff Godwin has built. And when they've had a coach for 20 years and they've been as successful as they have, there's a certain culture there up in wherever they are in New Jersey. I'm not sure the name of the town. I know I looked it up earlier and I've already forgotten. Sorry about that. But up there in frigid, cold New Jersey, hey, you got to have some kind of culture to go out there and take BP when it's 15 degrees. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, culture is such a a big thing these days and we talked about it earlier but yes for a program like Ryder you know you have to have something like culture to keep to keep getting players essentially and you know especially some of those northern schools the academic standards are a little bit higher than the majority of places too and so you have to find that right player you have to find the one that fits your program from a player mentality you have to find one that fits your academic side as well and you know for them to to come out win you know 36 games and compete against programs like Duke especially late in the year is when they played Duke as well which is when Duke started playing better 
down the stretch. And so this is, like I said, this is a program that Pirate fans certainly going to have to watch on opening weekend. Ryder has been to two of the last three NCAA tournaments, making an appearance in 2021 as 2023, and they have actually been to Omaha back in 1967. They made their sole trip to Omaha. Well, that'll do it for our third segment here on the Bronx. When we come back, we will wrap up Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Coach Houston bringing us back in here as it's been a baseball-centric show, but we're all still optimistic for the upcoming football season as well. So we want to thank everybody for tuning in again. Igo should be back tomorrow. That is the plan as of now, as he has been feeling a little under the weather the last two days. He wasn't able to be in yesterday or today. So thanks to Igo for allowing Scooter and I to fill in. It's been a lot of fun uh, working with you, Scooter, over these last couple of days. And uh, I hate that Igo's sick, but maybe we can, I don't know, do some more stuff together. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun to be back here pushing the buttons and uh, hanging out with you the past couple of days. It was a long day. Yesterday with Media Day, we had Hoist the Colors in the morning, and we had Coach's Show last night as well. But, uh, hey, that's the business of radio. That's why we get into it. That's true. I think you were here probably straight – well, here or at the baseball stadium yesterday from, what, about 8.30 until about 7.15 – I think I got here at nine yesterday, nine, and then left about seven fifteen last. Yeah, night. Yep. and there was there was no hour long lunch break in the middle of that, so Scooter was grinding yesterday. That's right, as he was eating and working at the same time as I'm we a, all were. But I'm a big grinder in radio world. You are a big grinder in the radio world. Hey, get used to it because pirate baseball's right around the corner, and you know what that means? Rain. Be quiet. <laughs> Hey, I, I got to sit through. I'd rather sit at the ballpark and watch it rain hey, than sit long, in the studio. As long as it doesn't rain at UTSA, I am okay because I will be sitting outside, apparently, on that trip in the bleachers. So, and I really don't want to be responsible for like $5,000 worth of radio equipment if it rains. So, please, rain gods, do not rain in San Antonio, Texas when we are there. I thought there was another place you were supposed to be outside. I've heard FAU might be outside, but That's I don't not know good. that for sure. You know, the time of year that it rains in Florida is if it's between January 1st and December the 31st, it's the rainy season in Florida. Right. So they need to have y'all's butts inside or that equipment's going to get ruined. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, Maybe I, I, it won't rain. I don't think I've ever been to Florida and not had rain. I mean, unless I was like going on a cruise and I like got down there and then we, you know, like spent one night and left. But like first two dates on the 500s I went to rained. I think the last one, it still rained. The second one, third one I went to, it still rained some. It didn't rain out the race. Been to Disney, rained. Visit friends in Miami, rained. It always rains. Always rains. Something about that peninsula. You got water on both sides. I mean, wow, that's loud. That is loud. That's I apologize. Am I, am I, is it overmodulating? No, you're good. But, uh, yep, so that'll about do it for our show. That music that's started out very loud and now is at a good volume is in my ear letting me know that it is time to wrap it up. So tune back in tomorrow. As again, Igo should be back. We want to thank all of our listeners tuning in. Thanks to Igo for letting Scooter and I fill in. Thanks to you for pushing all the buttons, turning the knobs. Scott, I'm Philip Pilkington. Have a great rest of your afternoon, Pirate.
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 the game.